At the risk of getting too philosophical with you, we lost a a huge war in the battle of ideas. About 200 years ago, when what the Bible teaches became just another value system. We're living in a postmodern world, and what that means is we're living in a culture that has completely bought the idea that science alone can give you facts. Spiritual thought, religion can only give you values. If that is so, then it's just a matter of choosing a set of values that will help you thrive, that will help you live. Because there are no facts. In one of the Christmas Eve services, I mentioned hearing a conversation on KFI regarding Christmas, and one of the guys who was very articulate and very intelligent and was sort of supporting the Christian idea of Christmas, was doing reasonably well, and I believe even quoting the Bible. There were three people talking at once, and I was just in there for a few, just in the car for a few minutes. But then he said this thoroughly postmodern idea. He said, listen, this is all about faith. No religion offers facts. It is simply a matter of faith, and I believe not what the Bible teaches at all. The Bible offers facts regarding a person who happens to be God. God is not a concept or an idea. He is an actual, living, eternal person. He exists and He sets everything else into motion. That's the Bible's initial statement regarding reality. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The God who is there creates and speaks and makes us. So all of our lives, we're in a relationship, whether it's loving and faithful or defiant and disobedient, every person in the world, every person God made is in a relationship and living under the reality that there is a God. That's why the passage that I have for you today matters so much. Because what John the Apostle says in his old age, in the first letter he wrote, I'm in 1 John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2, John said that all of your life, you'll have two different voices calling out for your love and loyalty. One will be the voice of your heavenly Father who made you and sent His Son to redeem you and forgive you from sin and bring you into God's family and restore the relationship that God designed for you to have in the first place. That's one voice, the voice of the Father, and the other voice that is just as insistent. And for too many people, far more pervasive and much easier to hear is the voice of the world system calling you back to love it, even though that's the very thing that Jesus rescued you from. And those two voices will talk to you your whole life. Jesus knew this. That's why He said, for instance, that you cannot serve God in money. You will either love one, you will love one and hate the other, but you cannot serve both. Those are two manifestations of the same thing that I'm telling you. The love of the Father calls to you and money says instead, no, love me, trust me. By the way, as a world system, not only the United States, where would you say the rankings 
are in terms of popularity. Who's got better popularity rankings right now, God or money? By far. First John chapter 2 says to Christians, do not love the world or the things in the world. Everybody with me? First John 2, 15. Fair warning, we're going to do a little Bible study this morning. In other words, I'm going to not just stay in one passage. We're actually going to move into the Gospel of John to help us understand what John means by this passage. So, if you're using your Bible on your smartphone, be ready to click, okay? I would actually, I don't mean to meddle, I would strongly recommend you at least occasionally read your Bible from an actual paper printed Bible. Not to be an old fuddy-duddy, but neurologists say that it is a neurologically different experience to read from paper and read from a screen. It's just different. And it's much harder if you're reading the Bible, it's harder to see flow and argument and ideas when the screen's only this big. I read on my, on my phone too, but it is a different experience. Today, if you don't have a paper Bible with you, you might actually want to help yourself to one of ours in the chairs around you, okay? Because we're going to go into the Gospel of John in just a second. But John is now going to address those two voices. And he's talking to Christians, he's talking to people who know the Lord, and he gives them a very clear direction that is as timely today as it ever has been. 1 John 2 verse 15 says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eye and pride in possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eye and pride in possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Let's study. Ready to study? I can't tell you how discouraging it is to uh, ask, <laughs> ask a question like that and get such a muted response, okay? Ready or not, here we go. There's only one instruction in this passage. There's one commandment and then explanations of why you should do that. John's telling you what you should do, and then he's making a case for why you should do it. Have you ever done that with your children? Sometimes we simply give them instructions. Many times, wise parents try to explain to them the good and the bad reasons for why you should follow that instruction. My parents were really good at both, and they probably tended a little to the negative and told me what would happen to me if I didn't do it. Um, but that's their choice, and it worked. I mean, I was, I was a pretty compliant little kid. Not always obedient, but generally compliant, and there is a difference. I'll let you muse about that later, okay? What's the instruction? Do not love the world or anything that is in the world. Now, that's strange. Because doesn't John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world? Are we, to tol are we told not to do something that God does? 
Aha. Aha. Okay. Let's study. Okay. Bible study tip. When you're trying to discover what a phrase or a word means in the Bible, you have to compare Scripture with Scripture. The Bible is its own best interpreter. Okay? Don't go first to what someone thinks about it or tells you about it. See if you can find how that word is used in other places of the Bible and begin, if you have them, begin with some of the other portions of the Bible written by the same author that you're reading at that time. So we're reading the first letter of John. What else did John write? He wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote this letter and two others, and he wrote the book of Revelation. So when we read the Apostle John, we actually have quite a bit to draw from to figure out what he meant by the words that he uses. Go now with me to John chapter 1 and see if we can figure out what John means when he says, do not love the world or the things in the world. Let's start in John 1, verse 9. He's speaking about Jesus, John 1, verse 9. It says, the true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Now, if you read that carefully, you can see that there's one word that is used over and over again. It's the, it's the word world, but it seems to be used in two different ways, doesn't it? First, it says that Jesus made the world. That's creation. But then it says in verse 10, He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, yet the world did not know Him. That looks to me like John is referring, using the same word, to two different things. If you want to see them side by side, go over to John 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. If we think about this for just a second, we can see that John uses the word world in two different ways. There's the world that God made and the people that He loves in it. God made the world, and he was, Jesus was in the world. He stepped into the creation that He made, but the world of people that were part of that creation did not know Him. In fact, they rejected Him. That's why God loved humanity and sent His Son into the world that He had made. And He did not come to destroy everything, to condemn everyone, but He came to save them, even though some already are under His judgment because they refuse to acknowledge Him and believe in Him. Okay? Now, we look a little further into John's gospel and we listen to Jesus. Go over to John 8, verse 23. And now we're going to come to the third way that John uses this same word, and clearly the way he was using it in our passage when he told Christians, do not love the world or the things in the world. Jesus said in John 8, verse 23, you are from below, I am from above, you are of this world, I am not of this world. Okay? Look 
further with me in John 12, 31. Told you the paper would be handy. This is in the last week of Jesus' life. And he said in John 12, 31, now is the judgment of this world, now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Okay. What's he talking about here? This is a third and separate category from the world that God made, the people that leave, live in it. And I believe this is a reference to the, a corrupt world system that defies God and denies Him and ignores Him and seeks its own pleasure and its own values ahead of His own. Look in John 15, 18 now. See if you can hear the system language, the culture, the comprehensive system of thought, ways of feeling and thinking and believing and choosing and acting and playing and working that have no room for God. John 15, verse 18, Jesus said, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you were not of the world, but you are because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Hear the system language? Now, all we've done so far is study, and this may seem a little, a little beyond your reach, but it's really not. If you're reading in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, and you read, do not love the world, and then you remember John 3, 16, and you're puzzled by the fact that God just told you not to do something that God Himself does, that same computer that makes you read your Bible on the screen will help you tremendously if you will go to a website, search the word world, and just follow John's usage of the word through the things that he wrote. Does that make sense? I'm not preaching right now. I'm just trying to study the Bible with you and give you some Bible study tips. Am I, we doing okay so far? Some of you are looking puzzled, and a couple others are looking troubled. Okay? I want to lay the groundwork so that you understand what John is saying here, because if you don't understand it, you won't be able to obey it. You won't be able to do what God says if you don't understand what He means. World, the word world means three different things to John. All that God made, the people that He made, and a system that very clearly opposes Him, denies Him, obstructs Him, and in fact is run by someone else. John, uh, John 12, 31 says... In the New Living Translation, they make it very clear, the time for judging this world has come when Satan, the ruler of this world, will be cast out. Now, in your final Bible study tip, you'd like to see if this usage of the words that you think you've discovered are supported by other biblical writers. For that, look over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4. Now, this isn't John anymore. This is the Apostle Paul. But if this really is God's Word and He is giving one consistent message, they should agree with one another, right? Okay. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 
I'll read from verse 3. It says, even if our gospel, even if our good news is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. This is a clear reference to Satan. This is the third usage of the, of the word world. It clicks, it fits beautifully with what John describes in the very words of Jesus, that there is a world that opposes him, that ignores him, that hates him. And he tells his disciples, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. That is not creation itself hating its creator. Those are people and the systems, the cultures they have built in ignorance of God and in defiance of God to make their life the way they want it to be. Now we're in a much better position to understand what John meant when he said, 1 John 2.15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in that world's system, in that culture, in that pervasive way of thinking, choosing, acting, and believing. That's what John means by that word. All that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world, that system, is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. One Bible commentator explained it like this. In this passage, the world and the things in the world are the values, the decisions, and the directions in life chosen without consideration for knowing and doing the will of God. That's what the world is. It's thinking and feeling and valuing and choosing and prioritizing and planning and living life as you see fit without consideration of the God who made everything. And again, Back to 1 John chapter 2. What does John tell us not to do? That world is not to be loved. That system is not to be loved. Here's the Bruce Garner way of summarizing what the Bible says about the world. The world is this. The world is what makes sin look good and loving God look silly. That's what the world is. Any thought any system, any value that makes sin look good and loving God look silly, you can be sure that has the signature, that has the voice of the devil. That's the world system. And John says, do not love it. Now, why would he tell us, why would he tell Christians, because he's undeniably writing to Christians, why would he tell Christians not to love the world system? Yes, because we do love it too many times. And it's the greatest betrayal and the greatest heartbreak in the world that you would be rescued from something and then in ignorance and defiance and disobedience of the rescuer of the Savior, go right back into the very thing that He saved you from. It's like running back into the burning house after the firemen have carried you out unconscious. What would, the, what would the expressions be in that particular fire crew 
as they watch someone cough and choke and come to and get up on all fours and look back into the house and walk straight back in. It wouldn't make any sense, would it? But the first thing sin blind, does is blind you to its reality and the effect that it's, effect that it's going to have to you. That entire system is built to keep you away from God. That's why John says, don't love it. Now, again, we're studying. Let's think a little bit about some of the things that make sin look good and loving God look silly. What are some of the expressions in popular culture that you see that make sin look good, look attractive, look enjoyable, and make loving God look silly? Just do it. Talk to me now. I know I'm making you uncomfortable because normally I do all the talking, but, but we're studying a little bit, okay? It's the last Sunday of the year, and it's just a little bit different. One of, the, one of the shortcomings of Sunday morning preaching is I can teach you the Bible, but I can't teach you to study the Bible. That's what I'm trying to do a little bit this morning, okay? Think through popular culture. Think about television. Think about ads. Think about the Internet. Think about memes that are circulating. Where do you see this system emerging where sin looks good and loving God looks silly? Yes. You deserve it. It's fun. It's all about you. Burger King started this 20 years ago. You can have it your way. Now, is that, necess- is that necessarily bad? No, not necessarily. But everything in our world is now about customization. You really can have it your way, and if you can't have it your way, you'll find a service provider that will make sure that you can have it your way. And then comes Jesus and says, give your life away. Come die with me. If anyone would be my disciple, he must deny himself and take up his cross every day. Wow. That's not what Apple's selling. What about reality TV? What values are common in reality TV? Anybody seen The Bachelorette? Or The Bachelor? I don't mean to meddle with your favorite TV show. But listen, we have come to a world system where, I'm going to use the biblical term for it, where fornication is filmed and made to look attractive. You have strangers making themselves look as beautiful as they can, vying for the love of one person they just met. And from what I've seen in the news, I don't know if I've ever seen more than 60 seconds of the show. I believe part of the features now is that one by one, the girls will get to spend a night with Now, what's God's perspective on that? Those are the sins that Jesus went to the cross to save us from. You see how the world system, it's pervasive. Look at the very next phrase. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him for all that is in the world. And here are the things that are in the world. Here is the operating system behind what we're living in in this world. 
The desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. What John tells you first is this. This is personal. You cannot love the world that you're in and love your heavenly Father at the same time. It cannot be done. Do not love the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. My goodness, that's a clear, startling verse. Here's how clear. I, I'll just be vulnerable with you this morning. I had to pray a little bit this morning and confess myself a hypocrite because as I mused about this passage, I realized that I spent at least a portion of my day being very attracted to things in the world that have nothing to do with the Father. And they weren't raw evil, but boy, they captured my attention, and boy, I started putting them first. With all the symptoms of stepping outside of God's will that follow, including being kind of fussy with my family, feeling offended that things were needed from me. I started getting into this beautiful American customization of this is, this is me, man. This is my time, not yours. Okay? The system is pervasive and it's personal. You're not being asked to choose a value system and see how it goes. You're actually hearing from two different people. The father and the devil who hates him and hates you. That's why both Paul and Jesus called Satan the ruler of this world. He rules over this world. He is not sovereign and he is not final, but he apparently has been given a tremendous amount of sway and liberty in this world to fashion the prison as he likes it. Dr. Lingenfelter at Biola, an anthropologist I painfully studied with for a semester, Man, that guy was hard, but he gave me this phrase that summarizes what the Bible is teaching about the world. He said, every human culture is a prison of disobedience. And the prison cells look different, but they all keep people apart from God. And this description of what is in the world, that's how we know, that's how we begin to recognize the prison. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. What does that look like? The desires of the flesh is what you can do apart from God. It especially shows up in sexual activity. That if it feels good, do it. Here's a, here's a, here's a lie straight from the pit of hell that runs the world system. It's your body. Are you aware that that's not a biblical idea? It's not. You're a steward of that body. Whose, whose body is it then? It's God's. Paul will rebuke the Corinthian church who were wild in sexual immorality, telling them to not defile their bodies anymore with sexual immorality, he says, because you were purchased at a price. And don't take what belongs to God and join it with sexual immorality. Okay, so the pride... I'm sorry, the desires of the flesh is what you can do, the experiences you can have without regard to God. The desires of the eyes, that's what you can possess. That's what you see and you want. And finally it says, and the pride of life. To put it in quick language, 
those two desires of the flesh and the eyes, that's all about what you can do and what you can have. Your lust for things that you want to do and things that you want to have. And the pride of life, that's the, possess- that's the pride you take in achieving those things. If you think about those three phrases, you'll see Orange County. You will. What's Orange County about? The desires of the flesh. The new thing in the generation that comes behind mine is that the the prison cell is changing a little bit, and here's how they're explaining it. The new generation of 20-somethings and 30-somethings coming up behind me are starting, and they're writing about it on blogs. They're saying things like this. We don't want stuff. We want to have experiences. We don't care about home ownership. We've turned our back on the, on the materialism, on the possessions of our fathers and grandfathers. We don't care about the stuff we have. We want to have experiences. That sounds great until you dig a little bit deeper and you realize that very few of those experiences take account of God at all. So you have the story of a young woman who's now in her 30s who acquired six-figure debt having experiences. And her advice is now being offered as a path forward and a way to live for her generation. The devil's subtle. When we tire of one cell, he'll build us another so long as he can keep us captive in it. He doesn't care what kind of cell you're in so long as he keeps you apart from God. Do not love the world or the things in the world. First reason, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's the point. That's what's hurtful to the heart of God. Loving the world crowds out love for him. Secondly, all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eye, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. In other other words, this world system does not come from him. The world system invites you to have an insatiable hunger for what you do not have and take an ugly pride in the things that you do. And I cannot tell you, and I hope I'm not being too clear and too candid, I cannot tell you how many times in two different countries I have stood over the graves of people who have dedicated themselves to the world system and realized again with their bodies in the ground that it was all for nothing. The eyes were fed, the flesh was fed, pride was taken in the things that they acquired, but it was all for nothing. The real work of this sermon, perhaps, will be in the work of the Holy Spirit explaining to your heart what your prison cell looks like and asking Jesus to free you from it so that you love the Father instead of love the prison cell. I've thought of a few symptoms of what it looks like to love the world instead of loving the Father. The first one I thought of, I thought of because it hit me hard. I was reading something by Corey Ten Boom, and she said, for a certain kind of Christian, prayer is the spare tire, not the steering wheel. Think about it in a second, and you'll have it. What matters more, the spare tire or the steering wheel? People who use prayer as a steering wheel talk to God continually and hear from Him in His Word. He gives daily direction to their day. What are spare tires for? Emergencies. 
You're driving the way you want. You're doing what you want. Things don't go well. You blow a tire. You pull out prayer. And that one, that, for goodness sakes, I've been a pastor most of my life. I've, now I've been a Christian since infancy, and that one hit me pretty hard. What else is symptomatic of loving the cell more than the Father when getting is more important than giving? You've been infected by the world system. You say, here comes a Christian pastor talking about giving again. Can I quote Jesus to you? Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Probably the least believed of all the Beatitudes is that one. The approval of people matters more than the approval of God is another symptom. In the Gospel of John, we're told of religious leaders, including Pharisees, who believed Jesus but would not publicly claim Him, and it says, because they loved the glory of men more than they loved the glory of God. And I've wondered for years, since I read that, since that passage hit me, what became of those men? Did they ever come to a point of actual saving personal faith where they trusted Jesus for their life? Are they now in heaven? Or did they love the applause and the, the approval of men all the way to hell? A final symptom, which I'm starting to experience more and more in my 40s. That is a weariness with the world and a quiet surrender that sounds for Christians like this. That's just the way it is now. Careful there. I could give you a list of 50 things, but what I've actually done is just described a little bit of my own prison cell. A very helpful thing for you to do this afternoon before you go to bed is to talk to Jesus and say, show me, Lord, how I've loved the world instead of loving the Father. That's the war. That's the fight. Discipleship is the voice of Jesus continually saying to you, come follow me, give yourself to me, love me, love what I love, do what I do, look at what I'm seeing and see it with me, be my hands and feet in the world, and the prison of this world will never, ever, ever stop talking to you. And that's the final thing that John tells his readers. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 17, he says, the world is passing away along with its desires. In other words, there are several reasons not to love the world. Don't love the world, John says, because it crowds out love from God. Don't love the world because God is not behind it. God is not the creator and the author of that kind of thinking. It stands in His way. And finally, he says, don't love the world because it won't last. Verse 17, the world is passing away along with its desires. Here's the opportunity that is open to, up to you. But whoever does the will of God, does what? Live forever. That's the choice between eternality and lasting significance that follows you not only for a lifetime, it follows you beyond your lifetime into eternity or giving your life away to superficial, stupid things that will be snatched away from you by death. So please, church, we've got a whole new year opening up to us. 
It's just a date on a calendar. But there's something psychological that happens to almost all of us where we feel that this magical change in the calendar opens up a new, fresh start. Have you felt it yet? Here's what the, world, here's what the Bible's telling us. Don't love anything that defies God and destroys people. The world, all your life, until you see Jesus and you realize how fleeting and senseless those other vo- that other voice was, all your life will call out for your attention, your loyalty, your love. It will tell you to wall yourself in by pride. It will beckon you back into the prison and invite you to put the shackles back on that Jesus died to break. Don't do it. Don't love anything that defies God and destroys people. Let's pray for a minute. Could I give you a moment to do just what I mentioned? And since the Father knows your heart, knows your weakness, could you ask Him to show you what it is in the world that especially captures your heart? might be a little tough, but he'll show you if you ask him. And remember, the grace of Jesus frees you from even that. You're free and forgiven from that if you trust him. That will not keep you from him. He died to set you free from that. First John tells me that. My little children, I write these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. You are free. You are beloved. What does your Father want? He doesn't want you to love the things that kept you away from Him and are destroying the people around you. Don't love the world or anything in it. And if you can see the cell a little more clearly, could I now ask you to turn in prayer and say, Father, help me love you more. When those two voices speak to me, help me to hear yours and do what you say. Lord, I'm the most needy person in this room for this passage. The world speaks to me all the time. My flesh, my eyes, the pride of I can take in life, it always talks to me, just like it talks to every brother and sister that I have here. Help us, Lord, to see the world around us with new eyes. Help us to see past the superficiality of a sinful world that ignores you tenaciously and help us to love you instead of all of that. In Jesus' name, amen.